This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. He goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sacks Rowan. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in. Uh, a little bit different than yesterday. Not much snow falling today, which is a good thing. White Sox should get their game in today. Got some White Sox news for you. It's not necessarily good news either. It's funny. It's it's not good news, and then for me, it's good news. So we'll get to that in a second. We'll talk a lot about the draft. The uh, draft finally over down in Nashville. Now all the bachelorette parties can go on without football guys all over the place. Nashville's a great place, and uh, they seem to have a great time down there, even with all the rain they had on uh, Friday. I'm not sure about anybody else. I paid no attention to the draft yesterday, so I had to catch up on it yesterday evening. Uh, Tough to sit and watch those with the picks going so quickly and guys that you don't know and probably have not seen. I'm not sure how many people actually watched a lot of Florida Atlantic play this season, but uh, the Bears have a player from there, so we will talk about the Bears and their draft. We'll get into the Cubs game last night as David Bodie and Anthony Rizzo playing long ball, and you Darvish goes six innings. That's right. You did not hear incorrectly. Keep both hands on the wheel. You Darvish went six innings for the Cubs as the Cubs get a, a nice win last night. They go for the rubber game of the series today. In Arizona, a 3 o'clock start. Jose Quintana, who's been red hot. We'll have a lot of baseball to discuss throughout the course of the show. Also, we will be talking um, a lot of baseball, as I mentioned. We'll be talking about the draft, and we'll be talking some beer. That's right. Because coming up May 10th is the start of Illinois Craft Beer Week. We're going to be talking with Danielle D'Alessandro. She is the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. They have one of their big events of the year kicking off uh, Illinois Craft Beer Week. That is Beer Under Glass coming up on May 10th. We will talk with her around 1130. For those who have gone to this event, it's tremendous. For those who have not gone and you have tickets, boy, you're going to enjoy yourself if you like craft beer. And if you don't, you wouldn't be going. So, of course, you enjoy craft beer. So we'll get into that around 1130. You can always reach me, 312-332-3776. And I'm constantly checking my tweets throughout the course of the show. And uh, that is at Fred underscore Hubner, last name H-U-E-B-N-E-R. Uh, Eric Ostrowski working with me this morning. We have a lot to get into. Let's get started. Oh, and by the way. If you're a Cub fan, you may want to listen because we've got a pair of tickets to give away sometime during the course of the show 
for Miracle, the musical inspired by Chicago's beloved 2016 World Series champions, the Chicago Cubs. It's going to be at the Royal George Theater. For tickets, visit Ticketmaster.com or call 312-988-9000. We've got a pair of tickets to give away a little bit later on this morning. So if you're a Cub fan, you want to go, uh, keep listening. We Maybe you get a chance to go for free on us here at ESPN 1000. It was funny, I saw... On the last Cubs homestand, I saw a guy that won tickets from Carmen and Yurko uh, tweeting out where he, his seats were and took a picture of it and enjoyed the heck out of the game. So, yeah, you, you know, sometimes it pays to listen. Yeah, I know there was another station that used to say that all the time. Um, but you can listen. You can call on in. So the Bears and the NFL draft, it got underway. And coverage of the NFL draft started at 6 o'clock. And ESPN Radio was breaking it down. We were doing it for you here on ESPN 1000. They were doing it on TV. They were doing it um, on ESPN TV. The NFL Network was all over it as well. And then at uh, 7 o'clock, ABC kicked in with their coverage. And I'm going, okay, the dread, the first pick will be about 7.05, 7.10 after the commissioner welcomes everybody. 7.26 the first pick in the draft. And it's like, okay, the Bears don't have a first pick. Now I'm sitting here watching the entire first round without much interest, really. I, I do support the Niners also. So uh, Nick Bosa went off the board with the uh, second pick, and that was pretty simple and pretty easy, and uh, you got a chance to watch that. And then I was watching baseball and things like that, the White Sox game, which was a crazy, stupid game on Friday night, and then the Cubs game also. Um, but then the Bears... The draft started a little after 7 o'clock, as I mentioned on Friday. The Bears went 26 hours and 2 minutes before they made their first pick. Um, they made their first pick on Friday evening, and it was David Montgomery, the running back for Iowa State. Now, in order to get the pick, Ryan Pace, trader, trader Ryan, he had to make another move. The Bears made a move. They moved up 14 spots. The Bears getting uh, round 3, pick number 73, and a round six pick, number 205, in exchange of the Patriots get uh, the Bears' 87th pick, also a fifth-round pick, um, number 162 overall, and a fourth-rounder next year. And the Bears moved up because of, apparently they found their guy that they wanted in David Montgomery. Now, what happened in this draft was that just a couple of picks before that, three spots, um, Let's see. Three spots after the Rams um, took Memphis uh, Darnell Henderson and one pick before Buffalo was about to go, the Bears made this deal. So obviously Ryan Pace kind of had a feeling that they needed to go on up. They needed to make a move in order to get the guy they wanted, David Montgomery. And Montgomery goes to the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy talking about similarities between um, Montgomery, the guy that's coming in, and Kareem Hunt, a guy that actually played uh, under Nagy when he was in Kansas City and now is going to be in Cleveland. Yeah, there are some similarities for sure. Uh, you look at them and the, the size of them, uh, you see how they run between the tackles. They're physical. They, they, they run angry, both of them. And, and I think uh, the other connection is probably just, you know, with the, the, the background of the coaches that they both had, too. That, that's a, an easy tie there. But uh, he's going to be his own person. I think that's the, the, the best part about David is the fact that the amount of talks that we have with him, you get to dig into who he is, and he's, he's going to be David Montgomery, nobody else. And I think that's really important. We love that about him, and I'm excited. 
excited to see really where it goes. It's always important to be yourself and nobody else. I hear that a lot. You get a lot of the coach speak throughout the course of the thing. Nagy talking more about the selection of Montgomery. Well, I think the biggest thing is um, you, you just see who he is as a football player. Um, the the amount of times that he makes defenders miss inside the tackle box, he extends runs uh, with his with his sheer power. Uh, he has a tremendous uh, ability to uh, feel when that next guy is coming. Uh, you know that peripheral vision, uh, and and then on top of all that. You know, we've just done so much research on all these guys, and and we've we've always talked about just high character guys, high character football players, uh, that you'd like to, to to go to that as much as you can. And this guy's at the top of the line with that. So he's the, he's the whole package, and and then he's got he has the hands. Uh, he's a three down back. Um, he just he's everything that we're looking for. And that's a good thing because Matt Nagy has taken this offense, a Bears offense that uh, waited to catch up with everybody else. And now with Tariq Cohen and with some of the receivers they have and with Mitchell Trubisky continuing to develop, they're catching up with the rest of the league in the offense that they run. Um, I went to our lads. We had uh, Dan Shanka on yesterday morning talking about the David Montgomery pick. And our lads mentioned that they have the depth charts pretty much as soon as the draft's over with. And so I went to ourlads.com. That's O-U-R-L-A-D-S.com. And I printed it up today. I've got the Chicago Bears depth chart uh, even after all of their picks yesterday, the four picks that they made. And you look here. The Bears go on out and they get Mike Davis, uh, the um, unrestricted free agent from Seattle. They bring him in. They trade jo- uh, Jordan Howard. They have Tariq Cohen. They also still have Taquan Mizell. Not sure how long he'll be with the team. David Montgomery is picked. And then yesterday, they also pick up Kareth White um, in the draft. So they have a lots of running backs, lots of depth at that running back position, Matt Nagy. So what it, what it does is, number one, they're all a little bit different. And and uh, I like that. I think that uh, it, it it enables us as coaches to kind of figure out what guys do well. We have a good idea right now, but uh, with Mike being new, and then with David coming in being new, uh, and, and Kiris coming in, you know, they all have a little bit of a different mix uh, with with exactly what it is. And so we're going to test it out and see and feel it out. But uh, it gives you options, and there's they're weapons. In, in my opinion, they're all weapons. They can all they can play on every down. Um, you, you feel good about where they're at, and we gotta we as coaches gotta figure out um, exactly what it is. And then there's only you know you, yeah there's so many touches, so you gotta balance that, and that that is the difficult part. But it's a lot easier to do when you have when you have that you know with these type of guys that have these different strengths. Now I mentioned numerous times throughout the course of the year that I am not the biggest college football guy. Uh, watch NFL from the time, you know, the first game of the day starts all the way until the last game is over. Don't miss any of the NFL games. But college football, I'm not the guy. Adam Abdallah, Chris Black were on. They were here. They were the guys that break down the college football for you along with Jay Hood all season long, doing it on Saturdays when they head on out to four wins and all those things throughout the course of the year. I am eager to see what the this kid Montgomery can do. I'm eager to see what Riley Ridley can do. Okay, Riley Ridley, the Bears pick in the fourth round, the wide receiver out of Georgia, which is interesting because they've gone really heavy with the SEC. And 
Even though I don't watch a lot of college football, I know that if you're drafting players from the SEC, you're doing a good thing. You're doing the smart thing because the SEC is, without a doubt, the best football in college football. (laughs) So, excuse the cough there. So, the Bears go on out yesterday, and in the fourth round, they take Riley Ridley. A four-star prospect, graduated uh, early from high school, led the Bulldogs with 44 catches, 570 yards, four touchdowns last season. Uh, classic possession receiver, and that's a good thing. I mentioned how I picked up our lads. And so I grabbed that, went to our lads and said, okay, give me some good and bad about Riley Ridley. Here's what they say. Ridley is the top pass catcher, albeit in a run first, run second, pass third offense. Pro caliber route runner. His ball skills are near top tier, which can somewhat hide his lackluster movement tools. He won't burn by anyone and may struggle to consistently create space between him and the defender underneath. But he is a safe bet to have at least... Uh, to at least be a reliable possession receiver. Look strong, play strong, aggressive and sure hands catcher that shows ideal timing on his reach for the ball. Physical runner with intentions after the catch. I like that. He's got intentions after the catch. He knows where he's going. Top end speed and quickness are merely average. Will have a hard time getting open consistently, especially downfield. He can be caught from behind, makes too much time to get off the jam at the line of scrimmage. That'll be something the, the Bears will definitely have to be uh, be showing and taking care of. But if especially if he's a slot guy, if he's a possession receiver, a slot guy, then maybe there's a possibility that he'd be able to get off a little bit. So on the depth chart at the wide receiver position, think about it. Two years ago, the Bears and John Fox's last year, the Bears were struggling because they had no receivers. Listen to this list of receivers now. Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, Javon Wims, also a kid out of Georgia that they drafted last year. In the offseason, they picked up Cordero Patterson and Marvin Hall, and then they draft Riley Ridley. There are a couple other guys that are on the depth chart for the Chicago Bears, but look at it. From going to no wide receivers to now, there is definitely going to be competition at that wide receiver position, and that's a really, really good thing for the Chicago Bears. Having some competition, having guys looking to get in, having speed. Um, The Bears are a team that were never a speed team. Now they're a fast, quick team, and that's a really good thing. Ryan Pace talking about drafting Riley Ridley and giving his opinion. Both very athletic and uh, obviously their, their route running is, is pretty comparable. Both very good route runners. Hey, is that a, a sign of progress that you can comfortably take the best player available instead of trying to fill a need in the fourth round? Yeah. And, Mar- mm-hmm. and Mark, I think that we went into this draft with with that in mind. Like the, the roster's at a point where we don't have to force anything. And, and we and we do. You know, that's our mindset every draft. But to, to have a player of that caliber there and comfortably be able to take him uh, was really a no-brainer because he was so high on our board. And that's a great thing. Uh, it's a guy that was high on their board. He was there. They didn't have to make any more trades. I was happy with the trade. The only thing I have on the trade is that I was wondering, and people, you know how people on Twitter are, you know how people on social media are, they thought I was being a jerk, which, you know, at times I can, I can, I can do that. That's not a problem. There are definitely times where I can say things on Twitter and it may be misunderstood. Um, but I want to go back and see if I can find exactly how I said it. Um, 
Let me see here. Here's what I said on Twitter after the Bears made the trade and then a little bit later on in the draft where the Bears would have picked at 87. The Patriots took Damian Harris, the running back out of Alabama. I said, I need the football experts to explain to me why David Montgomery was a better pick for the Chicago Bears than Damian Harris. I'll hang up and wait for my answer. And I got all kinds of responses, people saying, oh, you're being the smart guy and this and this. And then they were trying to break. I just wanted an answer. Because, as I mentioned, and I always preface it, I am no college football expert. I have seen much of Alabama. I did not see a lot of Iowa State. Uh, I did see Damian Harris break through the line of scrimmage and take off and nobody catch him. I also saw that the running back that shares snaps or shared snaps in Alabama uh, went in the first round. Damian Harris was still there in the second. So I was just wondering, because how many times... As a Bears fan, have you seen the Bears running back break through the line of scrimmage? He goes down the line and gets caught. Jordan Howard used to always get caught. Will David Montgomery get caught? I guess it won't matter in the long run. It doesn't matter. You win games, go to the playoffs, head to the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter if your running back gets caught. But I kind of thought that maybe they'd get a guy that, you know, would take off and run. But we'll see. Obviously, the only thing that matters is that Ryan Pace got his guy. Ryan Pace knew that, listen, there's a, you know, a running back went three picks before Buffalo's coming up and they're going to take a running back. I want to get my guy. We got to make the deal. And they did. They made the trade and let's see how it works out. David Montgomery, from all reports, we've not heard anybody say that he's not a hard worker. We've not heard anybody. The, the one thing Iowa State did, which surprised the heck out of me, Iowa State set an NCAA record for the least amount of fumbles in the season. Um, he's a guy that can take a hit and doesn't lose the ball. Listen to this. Not only does he take a hit and not lose the ball, but Montgomery, the toughest running back to take down over the last two seasons, forcing a whopping 185 missed tackles on his carries alone since 2017. So the Bears got the guy they wanted. They got David Montgomery. And then yesterday, quickly going over some of the other picks. We mentioned Riley Ridley, then... In the sixth round, they grab a cornerback, Duke Shelley out of Kansas State. Um, a guy the Bears see as a slot corner, which they need uh, after Bryce Callahan leaves. Now, obviously, he'll be a fill-in because they did pick up a couple of guys to fill in those spots, and hopefully they work. Then in the seventh round, they took Kareth White, the running back out of Florida Atlantic, and another cornerback, Stephen Denmark, out of Valdosta State uh, in the seventh round. So the Bears also did something. And it's a little thing because no one's talking about it much. I know it was in the paper today. But they also signed another kicker, uh, San Diego State kicker John Barron. He was an undrafted free agent. So another kicker comes into camp for the uh, Chicago Bears, and that's exactly what they need, guys to work on those spots, guys to try to figure it out after what they did with Cody Parkey last year. And Matt Nagy said, uh, yeah, it was uh, time they had no choice but to move on from what Cody Parkey did. I'm just going to be upfront and honest with, with the whole kicking thing and everything. It's, it, that, you know, the, the elephant in the room. Or the, it's not – we already talked to our team about it. It's good. We're, we're moving forward. It's a, there's been so many examples in the last, like, three to four weeks of whether it's an individual accomplishment in sports or whether it's a team accomplishment that I could just throw at you right now that something bad happened last year or in previous years and it turned into a great deal the following year. So we're looking, this right here is half full, not half empty. That's where we're at right now. So all this kicking stuff and the field goals and everything like that, 
we're open, so we can use the hey the Cody Park you miss. It's okay, it doesn't hurt me. It's fine. It's it's good. So you guys can say it. We're good with it. So use it. Talk about it. We're it's we're it's a healthy it's a healthy thing. So we feel good about it, and we're gonna we're gonna get this thing right. Boy, it sounded like he was going very fast and trying to measure his words so he didn't swear or say anything a little out of the ordinary for a Matt Nagy. But uh, that was interesting hearing him talk about the kickers. So they did bring a guy in, San Diego State kicker John Barron. As I mentioned, an undrafted free agent uh, kicker. He is going to be their fourth kicker in camp. They brought other guys in. Chris Blewett, um, Redford Jones was the first guy. Then Elliot Fry, a guy they brought in about a week or so ago. So Barron was the second. Um, there were two kickers taken in the draft, both in the fifth round. Matt Gay going to Tampa and Austin Siebert going to Cleveland. So people were wondering what the Bears were going to do with that kicker position. And uh, they bring another guy in. So now... They'll all be introduced to the media, probably Monday or Tuesday. You'll hear from all of these guys, or at least a lot of them. You'll hear more from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy over the next couple days. And then it's quiet for a little while. Then there's rookie mini camps, and then there's OTAs. And it's a long way before the Bears take on the Packers on that Thursday. And uh, cannot wait. But the Bears, in my opinion, picked up a wide receiver they can use right away, a running back that they're definitely going to use right away. And as people... You know, they don't forget, but there were no first and second round picks this year for the Bears. Their first pick was traded to Oakland for Khalil Mack. That seemed to work out okay. And their second round pick was traded last year to pick up wide receiver Anthony Miller. Well, Anthony Miller, if he gets that shoulder figured out and everything else, then uh, he has showed what he can do, and he can get to the end zone for the Bears. Khalil Mack, without a doubt, one of the best moves the Bears have made. So when you see the Bears draft picks for this year, just remember, they didn't have a first and a second, but Ryan Pace did the right thing the year before, made the moves, bring those guys in. He's got Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller now for quite a long time. Uh, 312-332-3776. Going to get to some baseball talk, but we have some baseball breaking news on the south side. Now, the other day, Aloy Jimenez injured himself. It was not pretty for those who uh, might have watched. Besides pain, I feel good because we win. When it happened, I was like, oh, my God. Um it's not, not feeling good. Like, it's feeling really painful after, like, right away. Feel a little bit of pain when I put pressure on it, but um, I know it's it's because it's uh, swollen a little bit, um, but it's going to be good. But he's going to be great. In a while, Aloy Jimenez earlier today placed on the injured list for the uh, Chicago White Sox, a high ankle sprain. Also, right-handed pitcher Nate Jones, right elbow inflammation. They both go on the 10-day injured list, and the Sox bring up a couple of pitchers, Aaron Bummer and Tiago Vieira. Sox wrap up their series with Detroit today. We got a lot of baseball talk. We come back. Fred Hubner with you right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Makata drills this ball right field. The only question is which deck. It's a two-run homer. A comet on a progressive field. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And the pitch. Swinging and a fly ball to right and deep. Can't 
We're talking baseball. In the air to right center field. How about this for a homecoming? That is crushed into the second deck for Bryce Harper. And he gives those Phillies fans a chance to jump up and down one more time. This ball is K-I-L-T kill. My goodness. A chance to walk it off against Neil Ramirez here in the ninth. And when he hits a part, then it goes far. Talking Baseball with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome back in. Lots of Talking Baseball here on ESPN 1000. Cubs win. Sox were snowed out. They played today. We got some baseball highlights coming up. And your phone calls at 312-332-3776. I'm usually here for two hours, like from 10 till noon. And um, what I like to do is get a little stuff. You know, we got football and get into it. And then baseball talk. Sox, Cubs, the rest of baseball. What's going on around a Major League Baseball? Heck, you look at the American League, the teams leading their divisions, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Minnesota Twins, and the Seattle Mariners. There are a lot of other teams that people may have picked to lead their divisions. Uh, what, what's going on with Cleveland? How about the Yankees and Red Sox? What's going on? With, well, you know what? It's just not happening right now. National League, you got the Phillies in top of the East with the Mets a game and a half back. Um, St. Louis Cardinals, a two-game lead over the Brewers. Cubs are two and a half back. The Dodgers, a one-game lead over the Padres. Uh, who have won five straight games. So we'll talk a lot of baseball here over the next hour or so. And um, before, in case you missed it, well, start White Sox here. They didn't play yesterday, so I'll talk a little bit of White Sox, then get into the Cubs game from yesterday. But this is what happened, and I hate to make predictions. When people ask me ahead of time, what do you think the Bears' uh, record's going to be this year? I have not made my prediction. I don't like predictions. I like to react as things happen. But I did make a prediction a couple weeks ago. And my prediction was, Eloy Jimenez is going to get killed in the outfield. Something bad's going to happen. He goes after the ball very strangely. It just doesn't seem to work out well. And it, it, unfortunately, I actually made a prediction that came true on Friday night. Left field. Jimenez back at the warning track. Eloy can't make the play. It's gone. And he clanged into that wall hard out and left. Eloy Jimenez is down. The Tigers have made it 5-1. to one. Eloy Jimenez down and hurt in left field on the home run from Griner. Eloy goes all the way back to the wall and crashes into the wall. And watch his right leg when he crashes into the wall. It looks like the right ankle because when he crashed into the wall, the ankle looked like it gave a bit. So he's up and standing. And it is the right ankle. Highlights courtesy NBC Sports Chicago. Dr. Stone. Dr. Stone reports to um, medical. Uh, Steve Stone was exactly right. And as a result, the White Sox have placed Eloy Jimenez on the 10-day injured list today with a high right ankle sprain. Um when you hear, usually if you just hear a sprained ankle, okay, he'll come back in a couple of days. High ankle sprains seem to linger. 
And uh, Josh Nelson, a guy who joins the shows here on ESPN quite a bit, you can find him and Jim Margolis over at uh, Sox Machine uh, on their podcast. They do a great podcast, usually updated every Monday. Uh, Josh Nelson on Twitter today says, asking medical professionals how long it takes to heal from a high ankle sprain. Now, granted, everybody's different. But this is what he said. He says, it's about six weeks, but soreness could linger for months. And Josh goes on to say, if that holds true for Eloy Jimenez, we may not see him until mid-June, and it might be best to have him DH for the rest of 2019. So me, and I'm not being a smart guy, I commented dot, 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 and maybe beyond. You could tell by watching Eloy Jimenez he was going to get hurt. You didn't want to see him get hurt. You hoped he didn't get hurt, but... It was, it was worse than watching Alfonso Soriano in left. It was worse than watching Kyle Schwarber in left field. When Aloy Jimenez went after a ball, he just seemed uncomfortable. It's hard to say that a guy that is the White Sox top prospect and one of the top prospects in all of baseball just looks uncoordinated. But in the outfield, he does not, I don't know, maybe it's, he's too gangly. I don't know what it is, but watching him field fly balls and go after him, you knew something bad was going to happen. If you've watched any baseball, it had to be in the back of your head. And unfortunately, it did happen on Friday as he tried to put his foot up on the wall. And all of a sudden, bad things happened. So he'll be out for a while. The White Sox also putting Nate Jones on the 10-day injured list. Um, if we never see Nate Jones again, that's that would be too soon. You know, that's fine with me. As a Sox fan, we've seen enough of Nate Jones. Uh, the Sox have called up Aaron Bummer and uh, Tiago Vieira from uh, AAA Charlotte, needing some pitchers in the bullpen, especially the way Carlos Rodon pitched the other day. Now, today, Ronaldo Lopez goes against Matt Boyd in uh, that one. And for those who missed it on a Friday, the White Sox had an eight. They were down eight to one. They were down nine to two. They came all the way back. Good things happened. They, uh, Abreu hits his second homer of this game, at least. It looked like it. And Jose hits it in the air, left field side. Peterson at the warning track. And the wall. Runs driven in tonight by Jose Abreu on a towering home run. Sox lead by a pair. What a monumental comeback this has been, but still some work to be done. Now there's a question about whether or not the runners pass one another on the base path. The question is, were they parallel or did he pass them? Well, that's going to be now the Music City miracle that, that we're looking at. That's going to be really hard to tell, and I'm not sure if they have a definitive angle on whether he passed them or not. He did pass. Wow. So let's see what the result of the play is where they put the runners. So two runs do score. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Two runs score. The ball leaves the park. The Sox still have the lead. And two are out. Again, highlights courtesy NBC Sports Chicago. And um, there's a lot of things that happen on that play. One of them is Tim Anderson was using his head. Instead of going halfway, he says, listen, I can get to second base if the guy catches the ball. If he doesn't catch it and it's gone, it's going to be a home run. So I thought he was doing the right thing, trying to go back to first base. Um, but 
Uh, Jose Abreu's got to keep an eye on the guy that's on the bases. He was probably looking at the ball, as was Daryl Boston, who apparently wasn't looking at anything. Because I know I saw somebody in the paper call out Abreu saying it was a bad play. It was on his part, but also you need to have your first base coach. What else is he doing there besides collecting, you know, armor from, you know, what you're wearing at the plate as you get to first base? What else is the first base coach for? He's supposed to tell you what to do when you get to first base. And he's got to do those kind of things. He didn't do it. But, it, you know, it was tied in 11, and, you know, everything worked out fine. And this ball's drilled. Deep left field. Gone! Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is done. We got a star on our hands on the south side of Chicago. It's only fitting it ends like that. Tim Anderson, who kept the game alive with his defensive heroics in the top of the ninth, ends it with his offensive heroics in the bottom of the ninth. Yes, he did. Timmy Anderson now hitting 402. His slash line, 402, 422, 632. He has 10 stolen bases in 10 attempts. He's playing really well defensively. He made some really nice defensive plays uh, in that ball game on a Friday night. Hopefully that will continue. Anderson playing really well. He won four for six in the game the other day. See if the White Sox can uh, start build building a little bit. It's a 10-game homestand, nine games now after that uh, postponement yesterday. 312-332-3776. Callers, hang on. I'm going to take a quick break. Come back, talk more baseball, talk more White Sox, get into the Cubs game from last night. Lots to get into. And right now, if you're a Cub fan, actually, and you're interested in going to see Miracle. It's a musical inspired by uh, Chicago's beloved 2016 World Series champions, the Chicago Cubs at the Royal George Theater. It's coming up, and uh, tickets you can get at Ticketmaster.com or call 312-988-9000. Right now, if you're the fifth caller, Cub fan, fifth caller, 312-332-3776, you get a pair of tickets. Very, very cool. It's the Miracle, the musical. We'll come back after this on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Talking baseball here on ESPN 1000. Lots of baseball. We'll get to the Cubs in just a second. White Sox wrapping up their series today with Detroit. Yesterday they were snowed out. Let's go to the phones. Let's go out to Tom. Tom, thanks for hanging in there. What's up? Hi, Freddie. Always a joy to hear you on Sunday mornings. Uh, just wanted to uh, to ask your opinion. I was thinking about those two long home runs that uh, Eloy uh, Jimenez hit at uh, what was it Yankee, Yankee Stadium, Stadium in yep. the rain. Yep. And and I was thinking, this guy is injury prone. We spent the fifty what was fifty million dollars or something like that. And right after that, I think it was right after that, the Cubs signed Bodie for $15 million on a long-term contract. And I'm thinking, Bodie's going to be a whole lot better than, than Eloy. I just have a real bad feeling about it. It's like a payback that for the Cubs uh, getting uh, Quintana and we we get him. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't I don't see it, Tommy. Appreciate the call. I don't necessarily see that. Uh, I think Eloy is going to be fine. A high ankle sprain is not, you know, um, 
not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I do think that the White Sox have to figure out what they're going to do with him in the field or just DH him. You're not going to have Yonder Alonso forever. Um, you know, you may have Jose Abreu for a little bit longer. That's not a bad thing. Abreu went, um, had four hits the other day as well, four for five with five RBIs. Um, but I think that Aloy Jimenez is definitely going to be a guy that, uh, he's going to be well worth the money. Um, in the long run, it's going to be a great deal for the White Sox. Uh, I don't think a guy like this is going to fail. Uh, he did get a hit the other day in his first at bat, line single to center field. Uh, I was really happy he had just come back from bereavement list when his grandmother had passed away. I was happy to see him get a hit his first time up. And then, you know, my worst fears happened in left field. So hopefully when he does come back, um, you know, he puts things together and uh, works on his game. If he is going to stay in left field, he's got to work on it and work on it and work on it because, you know, Ricky Renteria did mention last week that he gets good jumps on balls. I, I, I don't know. I really haven't seen it. I do have to tell you, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not. You don't always see the fly balls and what the, you know, how good the jump is from the outfielders when you're watching the game on TV. But if the ball's going to get to him, or if he gets to the ball, he catches it usually. Usually, I say. He also went back to the wall, I think it was last week, went back to the wall in Detroit, lifted his glove up, and the ball almost hit him in the head. Um, that's when I piled on to my thought about he's going to get hurt in the outfield. So hopefully that doesn't happen. At least me as a White Sox fan and all White Sox fans hope that he can stay injury-free when he does come back. Yesterday, the Cubs trying to bounce back after a rough Kyle Hendricks start and losing the first game of their road trip in Arizona. They came back yesterday, and uh, boy, oh boy, they like hitting the long ball in Arizona, don't they? Watch it fly. No, it wasn't a breaking ball. Floating in on him. Maybe a changeup. But he completely disparages this baseball. He crushed that thing. That's the Toyota home run replay. Yeah. Way up there. Bodie again. Two-run homer. Seven-nothing. Kid is putting on a show here tonight. Home runs number two and three for Bodie here tonight. First time he's gone deep twice in the same ball game. Ah, Len Casper along with uh, Jimmy Deshays over on ABC7. And uh, I love uh, Deshays. He disparages the baseball. He did. Bodie just hit the heck out of those two. Uh, Anthony Rizzo with a home run yesterday. And the Cubs get a 9-1 to win. And one of the more amazing things in that game was the performance of you, Darvish. Darvish, six innings, a one run, two hits. He walked four, struck out eight. Now, he was struggling the first two innings. Had a couple of walks. He was up to 56 pitches in just the first two innings. He ended up with 110. So in the last four innings, he threw just 54 pitches. Okay. Uh, nice to see from you, Darvish, what the Cubs needed, especially after what Kyle Hendricks gave them the other day. My question for you is, in Arizona, in back-to-back days, you saw good things. The first game, despite the loss, you saw Chris Bryant hit his first home run since opening day. For Bryant, it was his first homer in 79 at-bats, 95 plate appearances. He belted one, and boy, he just took it out of the park, hit it, and hit it hard. Which is most important for you as a Cub fan, seeing Chris Bryant break that home run slump, 
or you, Darvish, going six innings yesterday. You want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Baez and Schwarber with two hits apiece yesterday. Nice to see Schwarber getting a couple of hits. Uh, the one thing with Darvish, I said he went six. He has still not gone seven innings in a Cubs uniform. As a pitcher for the Cubs, he's not going seven innings. But you have today going for you. And that's a good thing because today you have Jose Quintana going. And I say that Jose Quintana has three straight wins. Jose Quintana, in the words of Cap, Jose Quintana's elite. At least right now he is. Jose Quintana, three straight wins, three straight seven inning outings for the Cubs pitcher. He's gone 21 innings in his last three games with two runs allowed on just 14 hits in those 21 innings, three walks, and 25 strikeouts. Jose Quintana, the perfect guy to have closing out this series in Arizona as the Cubs go to get two out of three from the Diamondbacks. The rotation, the last 14 games, the starting rotation, ERA 230. Now, it would be a lot lower if Kyle Hendricks didn't have a rough one the other day. So the Cub pitching staff is leading them to their comeback after the slow start. But which was more important for you as a Cub fan? We'll carry this over to the top of the hour. 312-332-3776. Cub fans watching the Cubs in Arizona. Which was more important? Bryant finally snapping that home run slump? Or the fact that you Darvish went six innings yesterday? 110 pitches. That's um, a couple games this week that Joe Madden has left the starters out there. He left Quintana out there for 100-plus pitches. Okay? Uh, it looks like Tommy Hadovy had to convince him. The pitching coach had to convince Madden, but he left him out there for Quintana to complete uh, a seventh inning the other day. So let me know. 312-332-3776. More baseball talk, beer talk. Bottom of next hour right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. Talking a lot of baseball. 312-332-3776. We threw a poll up based on what we were talking about at the end of last hour. Wanted to know which, to you as a Cub fan, which is more important? That Chris Bryant snapped his home run drought with the uh, round trip around Friday night? Or the U Darvish outing yesterday? Darvish went six innings, 110 pitches, struck out eight. And uh, the Cubs get a nice victory. You want to talk about it? 312-332-3776. Also, for those who didn't know, you're heading out to the ballpark today. Not in Arizona, but you could be listening. You can listen anywhere to this station around the world. Uh, you could be listening. You might be going to Arizona. Uh, that game starts at 310 Chicago time. But maybe if you're going on out to the south side to see the White Sox after their big win on Friday, yesterday was snowed out. Today it'll be Ronaldo Lopez going against the Tigers. You will not see Aloy Jimenez in the outfield. You will not see Aloy Jimenez in the outfield against 
anybody for a while. Uh, he is going to be out for a little while. From what we understand, uh, the, the White Sox will look at him again. He'll be reexamined in a couple of weeks. He goes on the 10-day injured list with a high right ankle sprain after what happened on Friday when he tried to leap for a home run ball and uh, jammed his right ankle. So, Aloy Jimenez, we waited for him for a while. Then the Sox signed him to a deal, so he started the season. He hit a couple of home runs at Yankee Stadium. Still waiting for hit his uh, first home run for the White Sox at Guaranteed Rate Field. It's going to have to wait just a little bit longer as he will not be ready to go. David Bodie did hit two homers yesterday for the Cubs, and then he came up to the plate, and uh, you knew something like this was going to happen, and I'll explain why you may have known it. And he just got hit, and he doesn't like it. And John Ryan Murphy didn't like uh, it. Everybody, calm down, calm down, everybody. It's the emotion of the moment. After hitting two home runs, you get drilled. You're going to take a little umbrage. Okay, so Murphy just wanted to make sure Bordy wasn't going to head to the mound. And David was well, like, the no, Scalzo's really upset. Oh. Cubs relievers coming out of the pen. I think the calmest guy in this whole thing was Bodie. I mean, he was upset initially, but I think he was trying to tell Murphy, I'm not going out there, man. I'm just, I've hit two home runs. I just got whacked by a pitch. You have to understand that I would be a little upset. Yeah, just a little bit upset. Highlights courtesy ABC Channel 7. Uh, Bodie hits two home runs, and uh, one of the home runs he hit and kind of stood there a little bit. And that happens, and I understand. Abdallah was on earlier today, and the younger generation, and I'm an old guy. I just had actually a guy that went to uh, Morton East call me a little while ago, Vito, um, graduated about a year after me at Morton East. I'm an old guy, and I understand the way baseball is, the unwritten rules. I know the young fans, oh, we hate these unwritten rules. Well, there's a lot of them that I dislike too. But just so you know, if you're a pitcher, I understand. You don't want a guy to hit a home run off you, then strike him out or get him to hit a ground ball or something like that. But it's good. as long as baseball is going to be played, if a pitcher gives up a home run and you show up the pitcher, or if he thinks you showed him up, there's a chance that you're going to get hit. It's going to happen. And I understand that you're not a pitcher should not be able to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball uh, at your head. There was an interesting thing earlier this week with the Mets and the Phillies where Reese Hoskins got two balls not at his head. He didn't get hit. They were behind him. And he was not happy at all. And then a day or two later, he hit a home run off that same pitcher and took 34 seconds to round the bases. Eric, you saw that? That was one of the coolest things I've seen. I did. He took it like he was just like taking in the scenery. Yeah. Like it was like a sunset. Like he was just relaxing the whole way around. It was good. On his way between one of the base pads, he like waved to someone in the stands. It was amazing. It was it was like a walk off, and I, I mean like a walk off, like the last time you would ever hit. And you're like waving to the crowd and everything, and he's like giving signs to people that you know that's going to happen. And basically, the pitcher for the Mets afterwards said, "Hey, he got me. I have no problem with it." And uh, some people will take it that way. Other people are going to throw at you. David Bodie, as Jim Deshaies said, David Bodie seemed to be the calmest guy. And afterwards, he talked about it. It's hard to be uh, not caught up in reaction there. Um, thought better of it and tried to de-escalate the situation instead of escalate it. Um, but it's all good. Yeah, he immediately, like, you could tell he was upset. And then right away, he tapped his chest and said, okay, I'm good. And that's when everybody came out. Descalso's yelling, here come the bullpens. The one thing I would love to see stop is nobody from the bullpens can come out 
And I understand they're trying to show that their unity, their, the team unity. We got to come out there and protect our guy if there's a fight. No. Stay out and fight the bullpens if you want to. There's no reason you run all the way in. Then we have to wait for you to run all the way back out there or walk and take your time. And it, it, it's really stupid. But this all came up a couple of weeks ago with the bat flips. And I wanted to ask you out there, people, I, I talked about me being an older guy, and I I think I understand most of these unwritten rules. Uh, bat flips, you may think that I'm not a fan. I don't care. I, I, I kind of like when the guys are um, celebrating. Uh, Tim Anderson hits a walk-off home run Friday. A week ago, he hits a second-inning home run and flips his bat, and they get mad at him, and bench is emptied. Okay, Here, he said he thought about it after he hit it, but it wins a game, and he throws the bat. I don't care. You want to flip the bat, but you got to realize if you're showing up the pitcher or if the pitcher thinks that you're showing him up, there's a good chance he's going to throw one high and tight to you. Sure, it's not right. That's the way baseball is. And for the people who keep trying to say, well, you shouldn't do this. We've got to put a stop. It's not going to stop. It's never going to stop. It's always going to be there. And retaliation will always happen because there's always going to be a pitcher who said, hey, he showed me up. Now, pitchers, you know, Pedro Strope in the past and other pitchers, they strike a guy out and they do gyrations on the hill afterwards and I have no problem with that either, unless they're pointing at the guy. And you, it's baseball. I like seeing guys get the emotion out. It is a game where you got to show some emotion. But you also got to make sure you're not showing up the other team. Okay? You just showed him up by hitting the home run. That's big enough uh, distraction. You want to celebrate, I have no problem with it. But just expect it's going to come your way. It's going to happen, and it did the other day. There's no doubt it's going to happen. Uh, a couple of I've had this written on my my pad um, that I do for show prep for three weeks in a row, and it happened again the other day. And if you want to jump in three one two three three two three seven seven six, if you've ever gone to a ball game and there's a chance that it may be raining, and you bring an umbrella, you should immediately be kicked out when you open the umbrella. Umbrellas should not be allowed at Major League Baseball parks for a couple reasons. And again, you agree or disagree, jump on in. 312-332-3776. When you open the umbrella, they're at some ballparks, maybe not at guaranteed rate because people behind you can always move because there's open seats. But when you open the umbrella, there are people behind you who cannot see anymore. And the rain that is falling off your umbrella is falling and hitting people in front of you, behind you, and on the sides of you. You should not be able to have an umbrella at a ballpark. And people say, well, how about a clear one? No, it's not the, it's the whole concept. You should not be able to have an umbrella at a ballpark. And I, and people say, well, what should you do? Easy. They have clear plastic. Bring in clear plastic. Put it over your head. You're not bothering anybody. The rain rolls off the plastic onto the ground. You're good. All good. It's real simple. But there should not be umbrellas at the ballpark. I saw them open the other day. At one of the wallparks, and I saw one of the announcers comment on it. But no one seems to mention that. That should be a rule. There should not be umbrellas allowed at major league ballparks. I don't know. You got a problem with that? You disagree or agree with me? Jump on in three one two three three two three seven seven six. And again, we did put up as a poll um, 
As a Cub fan, which is more important, Brian breaking his home run drought or Hugh Darvish and his strong start on Saturday? Remember, beer fans, we got, uh, we're talking about uh, beer under glass coming up on May 10th. We're going to talk about that bottom of the hour. Uh, get a little beer talk in here with you. 312-332-3776. What we also are going to do is play some highlights from around Major League Baseball because a lot of people pay attention to the White Sox, a lot of, well, not as many as they'd like. A lot of people pay attention to the Cubs. Millions and millions of people pay attention to the Cubs. But I want to talk about some of the things that went on around the rest of baseball. We'll get to that in one second. Let's go first to Morton Grove and Bob. Bob, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Yeah, uh, you know, I think it was last season, maybe it was the year before going into Wrigley Field. They wouldn't let me bring an umbrella in there. And you know, they said, leave it here. When I went back to get it later, they were all gone. So... And I'm a Sox fan, so I wasn't real pleased with it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You probably, a lot of people probably bring one in, and it's probably one of those smaller ones, and it, it's concealed. Uh, it's a concealed umbrella, so they probably get passed. But so this was at Wrigley Field; they would let you bring it in. Right, right. And I agree they should they shouldn't let people in with umbrellas. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there, bring clear plastic, bring a hood, bring something that's going to protect yourself, but you shouldn't inconvenience anybody sitting around you. Exactly. Bob, appreciate the phone call. Thanks a lot. 312-332-3776. Get back to some calls in a second. First, want to play some stuff that happened to some other games around baseball yesterday. Because, like I said, some people pay attention to the White Sox. Some people pay attention to the Cubs. If you're a diehard baseball fan, there is great baseball going on everywhere. And I know this rubs some people the wrong way, but uh, that darn Christian Yelich keeps doing it. And a fly ball. And back in a deep right field. And the Brewers with a couple of bombs in the fourth. Christian Yelich with a home run yesterday. And with that home run, it was his 14th home run. 14 homers before May 1st. Doesn't happen much in Major League Baseball. And um, he is just an amazing player. Now, they shut him down in St. Louis. He went 0 for 7, struck out a few times. They didn't even play him. He did not start in the final game in St. Louis. Cardinals found a way to get him out. And no one's getting him out at Miller Park. He's hitting the heck out of the ball. But yesterday, he hits a home run uh, for the Brewers. The Brewers beat Syndergaard and the Mets a final of 8-6. to Also in that game, people may not know a name, Peter Alonzo. Peter Alonzo is a prospect for the New York Mets. And he is a guy that a lot of people thought, well, they're gonna, they're gonna protect their service time. They won't bring him up. The Mets said, no, we're gonna have him start the season. Yesterday, Peter Alonzo hit his ninth home run of the season. So the Mets are trying to build. They're bringing some of their guys up and it seems to be working. Speaking of New York, the other New York team was out in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and they beat up on the Giants yesterday, 6-4, to a five-run fifth inning. Uh, Gary Sanchez provided most of it. High drive, left field, Austin turns, looks, see ya! A grand slam for Gary Sanchez, and the Yankees lead 6 nothing. Michael Kay with the call on the Yes Network as the Yankees get the victory. Gary Sanchez, who who really, of all the guys in baseball, Gary Sanchez is a home run or nothing guy. He's either hitting the ball so you can't find it anymore, 
or he's not hitting the ball at all. And he's not a great defensive catcher. So years from now, he may end up being a guy that is a DH, but they've got several of them on the Yankees right now, so they got to figure out how he can uh, stay behind the plate and still help the Yankees, who last I checked had 15 guys on the injured list. Just an unbelievable number. Now, the next one, Phillies beat the Marlins 12-9 to yesterday. And Bryce Harper, a guy who's got a few homers, uh, not hitting for average right now, and a guy that when it was either Harper or Machado, people said, well, one guy can help you when he goes 0 for 4, and the other guy can't. And the guy that they said couldn't was Bryce Harper because he's not the best fielder. He had really bad ratings in defensive runs saved last year, one of the worst right fielders. But yesterday, he put his arm to use. To the right side, and another base hit. Granderson's around third. He's heading for home. The throw to the plate by Harper is on one hop. He's out at home plate. What a throw. Jim Wolf is all over it. His eyes are right there on it. What a throw by Bryce Harper. And one thing we touched on earlier in the season is how accurate he has been with his throws to all the different bases. Second base, third base, and now here to home plate. JT just go ahead and takes it away. Excellent throw. Better tag. Inning over. A highlights courtesy NBC Sports of Philly. And I mentioned those Phillies right now, 15 and 12. Um, they've won a couple games in a row. They're just four and six over their last 10 games, but they do have a game and a half lead over the Mets in the National League East. Um, when you go to a baseball game, and this happened way back when with Steve Bartman, you know, you, you got to make sure you don't interfere with the play. Sometimes, though, people, there's a ball down the left field line or the right field line, and a fan will grab the ball. And uh, it happened yesterday in Toronto. The Oakland A's were playing the Blue Jays up at Toronto. Jays win the game 7-1, but this was the highlight I pulled from this. That one sliced down the right field line, and it's a fair ball. Bounces off the side wall. The fan hit it. The fan got their hand on it. So Laureano has a leadoff double. Mariano has the only two hits. Don't be smiling. You should eject him, man. Mariano, a good job of going to the opposite field. He had a base hit up the middle. Security guard. Why is well, the policeman that did it? What are to, you doing? You'd have to arrest yourself. Mariano runs well. Line drive down the right side. Just about a foot fair. And you can see Ooh, it was the police, the police officer. officer. <laughs> <laughs> well, throw yourself out of the game, yeah, sir. Well, that's it, to serve and protect. <laughs> you know, the one thing is, who's going to yell at him? Like, who's, who's yeah. going who's to go over to him and say, what now are you that, doing? That kid right there said, yeah. hey, next time you do it, yeah. I want the ball, okay? <laughs> that's great. Uh, sometimes it's this the uh, quick twitch uh, reflexes. The security guard catches the ball as it bounces towards him. Uh, that was the mistake. Highlights courtesy NBC Sports California and also Toronto TV. That sounded like uh, Dan Schulman doing the game. Does he do the Blue Jays games? Yes, he does. Okay. He's the regular guy that does their play-by-play. Yeah. So that was him doing it, and that was interesting. With uh, the security guard, he catches the ball and immediately just like threw it down on the ground and says, oh, I, I screwed up. I, I'm not supposed to do that. Um, back to the uh, Cubs division. The uh, Cardinals are a team right now. They lead the NL Central. They're 16-10. and 10. They have a two-game lead over the Brewers. The Cubs are two-and-a-half back. And uh, the, Bre- the Cardinals have won seven of their last ten games. And one of the reasons is Marcelo Zuna. He can hit the ball the other way and pull one inside if they make a mistake in. Or do that. Left center. At the wall. Good 
three-run shot, Marcelo Zuna. Yep, highlights courtesy of Fox Sports Midwest as Marcelo Zuna with the home run. St. Louis getting a 6-3 win over the Cincinnati Reds. And Murph and I looked at this yesterday morning. Murph and Fred, Saturday mornings, 9 to noon here at ESPN 1000. Uh, in the National League Central, uh, Pakota talked about how this was going to be a very, very close division. Uh, right now, 1 through 5 in the division are bunched tighter than any other division in baseball. Cardinals, two games over the Brewers, two and a half over the Cubs. Pittsburgh is three and a half back. Pirates are taking a tumble. They've lost seven in a row after a really nice start. They were 12 and math. 12 and six, and now they've lost their last seven. So they're three and a half back of St. Louis, and the Reds are just five games back of the Cardinals. So expect that National League Central to be close all year long. And finally, the Indians and the Astros were going at it down in Houston. Now, if I told you that there was a walk-off homer, you might say, okay, was it Bregman or Correa or Altuve or... Uh, who could it be? Could it have been Springer or maybe Brantley, the new guy? No, no, no. None of them. How about Tony Kemp? Kemp tries one. Deep right field. Ball game over. Kemp it ain't easy. Tony Kemp comes off the bench and with one swing wins the game. That's always a cool thing. One swing. You're sitting on the bench for the whole game. Ninth inning. Highlights courtesy Astros TV. Uh, you come in to pinch hit. You're down a run. Or the game's tied. And all of a sudden what you do, you step to the plate. First pitch, boom, out of the park. This baseball's easy. It was easy yesterday for Tony Kemp. So just some of the highlights from around Major League Baseball. There's so much great baseball. I catch it and check it out on MLB Central. Um on the MLB Network. Last week, we had a chance to talk to Steven Nelson. They do a great job, kind of like the red zone for the NFL, but several nights during the week, if you have the DirecTV uh, baseball package, they have the um, the strike zone, and they go around baseball and uh, check the other games because uh, usually on Friday nights, it's always there. There's a lot of games going on. So, uh, so many great highlights, so many great performances going on around baseball besides just your Cubs and your Chicago White Sox. On Friday on the Waddle and Sylvie show, Jesse was a smart man, and instead of going to the final game of the Cubs homestand, Jesse said, you know what, I'm going to Arizona early. And he went to Arizona a day early. So Waddle and Sylvie wanted to get a report from Wrigley Field when the Cubs got a victory. So they called on NBC Sports Chicago's Kelly Krull. And Kelly Krull, along you know, for the Cubs, and Chuck Garfine for the White Sox, they have great positions. They're basically in the camera well right at the end of the dugouts for the respective teams, the Cubs and the White Sox. And it was the continuation of Chris Bryant struggling, okay? And Kelly Krull was talking about it with Waddle and Sylvie the other day. Give it a listen here. I sit in a really great spot there off to the side of the dugout where I'm in the camera well, and I can see these guys when they come back into the dugout after um, having struck out or, or whatever it may be, not coming through in that moment. And for the last, I would say, week or so, Chris has really handled it well. And, I mean, I think he's come down, and I watch him go straight into the clubhouse, and I know he's going to watch film of whatever it is, and then he's you know coming back out. But today was the first time. I saw him vis- visibly upset. I mean, I you rarely see him slam his helmet down and, like, you rip off the gloves. And today I saw that from him. And I thought, you know, 
the, the frustration is certainly at, at a peak, but I I think he feels like he's close to turning the corner just from the few things we've gotten to see. Now, you know, Chris hasn't really been around. He hasn't been available to the media for the last week or so, and I know that's because he's putting the work in in the cage during the moments that we're in there. But, um, you know, as you would expect from a, a guy who sees himself as a lot better than what he's doing right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I was a little surprised to see that, but I think heading off to Arizona now, it might be um, a good situation for him. And that was Kelly Kroll when she joined Waddle and Sylvie the other day. The guys were out at uh, Twin Peaks in Oak Brook. I stopped by and said hi to him, and Kelly jumped on. Just very, very cool stuff, and she says there that maybe the trip to Arizona will be a good thing for him, and then what you do, he hits a 400-plus-foot home run in a Friday night's game. So I did ask you, you can go on uh, Twitter right now uh, at ESPN1000, and which was most important for you as a Cubs fan? Was it Bryant breaking out of his home run drought when he homered on Friday, or was it yesterday when Hugh Darvish actually went six innings and the Cubs got a win 9-1? to one. As we go to break, one other thing, Aloya Menez says this according to Chuck Garfine, the guy who's at the end of the dugout for the other side of town for NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, Chuck Garfine saying that Aloya Menez says his ankle feels much better than it did Friday. It'll be reevaluated in two weeks. White Sox placed him on the 10-day IL earlier today. We're talking beer when we come back. The uh, Beer Under Glass, the start of a Chicago Craft Beer Week, begins just a couple weeks from, heck, less than two weeks from now. We will talk about it. We come back right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. That's usually me at home. Cracking one beer or two beers, or yesterday on the way home, I stopped actually at Orange and Brew. It's a new a uh, a new beer store over in Downers Grove. They were doing kind of a fundraiser for uh, Illini Media, and uh, Eric and his wife they do a great job over there, and uh, got to try some uh, really really great beers from uh, Hot Butcher and uh, actually uh, distilled down in. Uh, Illinois, downstate Illinois. And if you are a fan of craft beer, you've tuned in at the right time. Fred Eubner with you here on ESPN 1000. We'll get right back to baseball in just a little bit. The uh, White Sox playing uh, at guaranteed rate this afternoon. The Cubs wrapping up their series in Arizona. But there is a big beer event coming up. Happy. Every beer event is big, actually. It's all gotten that way if you're a fan of craft beer. Um, breweries opening up and things like that. But they have here in Chicago and in Illinois a thing called the Illinois Craft Beer Week, and they always kick it off with a special event, and that's coming up. And I figured, who better to talk about Illinois Craft Beer Week than Danielle D'Alessandro, the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Danielle, how are you doing this morning? Good, Fred. Thank you for having me on. No, I'm glad you had a chance to jump on in. You guys have been, you're always busy, but it's kind of like, after, you know, the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers, which is in November, there's kind of like a, a little bit of a downtime for some of the events and things like that. Now, there's always beer fests and things like that, but this this big one, uh, the Beer Under Glass, coming up on May 10th, that kicks off Illinois Craft Beer Week. How long have they been doing the Beer Under Glass out at the uh, Garfield Park Conservatory? This will be the 10th year, actually. Well, that's been a long time. It's a, it's a great event, too, and a charitable event also, right? It is, yeah. Um, it is one of our signature events that we host 
um, that raises money to support the mission of the Garfield Park Conservatory Alliance um, in their programming throughout the year, and then for the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild for the work that we do, which is, is really to promote the expansion and development of the craft beer industry in Illinois. So um, the, the money that is raised directly goes to support both of our organizations and the work that we do. I know that you uh, took over as executive director a few years back. How have you seen uh, the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild grow since you've taken over? Um, it, it's actually it's been such an honor to um, to be able to work with this community of brewers, um, with uh, our staff and our board of directors. Um, we continue to see more breweries open up year after year, um, and and also then um, our membership uh, is growing as well. So there's over 230 breweries now in the state of Illinois. Uh, again, more slated uh, to open this year. And so um, it, you know, it, I was talking with somebody actually about beer under glass coming up, and they were looking at the lineup for brewers, and it was really great because they were like, gosh, even in just one year, um, there's new breweries that are going to be there that I haven't even heard of that, you know, we're going to be able to sample, sample their beer. And so that's, that's the neat thing is that there's always something new and exciting, um, not just in the, in the terms of the styles of beer that our brewers are, are, um, are coming up with and, and are producing, but also, again, in, in just the, new, the small businesses themselves that weren't, you know, even on the market and even, even open a year ago. Well, about four years ago, I think, I walked into the Garfield Park Conservatory and the very first uh, booth right there, the very first table was Hot Butcher, who I'd never heard of before. And now, anybody that's a craft beer fan, Hot Butcher, every time they release something, everybody wants it. Everybody goes and gets it. It's amazing how things change just over a couple of years. No, absolutely. And, and that's... That is definitely one of the trends that we're seeing now. Um, Hot Butcher is a small brewery, um, you know, that's only producing um, a few hundred barrels annually. Um, and, and that's going to be the case now with a lot of breweries that are opening up, not just in Illinois, but across the country, as we've, you know, seen that number skyrocket to, you know, probably right around 7,300 now in the U.S. Um, is, is you're not going to have these, these macro or these, these regional breweries anymore that see this exponential growth. You're going to see breweries that are a little bit smaller. They're going to be a little bit more focused. Um, and, and so a brewery like Hot Butcher, you know, can make these, um, uh, these incredible beers with, with these different ingredients that no one's heard of before and really bring traffic into, um, you know, into their tap room um, and, uh, or, you know, in, in the retail partners where they're distributing their beer. So um, I think I had a Hot Butcher beer actually for, um, for St. Patrick's Day yep. that was brewed with matcha green tea. Um, and a little bit of mint, and there was something else in there too. And, and, and you're just like, this, this is beer, um, and that's just the creative element that these brewers are bringing to this craft. And it's been really fun to be able to experiment with that. I'm talking with Danielle D'Alessandro, the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. I know that um, since I, I I booked you on the show, the VIPs for Beer Under Glass have sold out. If I'm not mistaken, I know the regular uh, it sold out. It usually does each and every year. For those people that have a, a ticket or are going to Beer Under Glass coming up on May 10th and they have not been there, um, besides the wonderful breweries, what else can they can they expect to see and uh, get you know to receive when they get there? Because I went there and I was just amazed at everything you were able to see and check out and all the other things going on there. No, yeah, it's 
it's a great festival because you not only get to, again, try all the different breweries that are there. We have 110 um, and the beer styles that they're bringing. But you're in the, one of the most beautiful venues in the city of Chicago um, at the conservatory. And you get after hours access um, to just walk around and appreciate and enjoy the plants. There's staff there. Um, so if, if folks have questions, you know, they can um, certainly um, learn more about the, the plants and, and the trees that are there. Every year that we go, um, when we're doing our walkthrough and meeting with the staff and, and the, the team beforehand, um, we really appreciate being able to walk around and see the new plants um, or, or the new um, uh, just the new setup that they have because sure. they, it changes so often with their programming. So it's just a beautiful venue to be able to um, to enjoy drinking craft beer. And then we'll have um, a number of food trucks that are available as well for, for people to buy food. So all around, it's going to be a great time. Now, I mentioned that Beer Under Glass kicks off uh, Illinois Craft Beer Week. And it's always, you know, we, it's not that you guys can't count or I can't count, but Illinois Craft Beer Week always seems to last longer than seven days. Uh, <laughs> it's always 10 days or 12 days or whatever it might be. Are there any special events and how's the best way for people to keep track of all the events going on for Illinois Craft Beer Week? That's a great question. Thanks, Fred. Um, yeah, we have our um, uh, our website um, that folks can go to, um, illinoisbeer.org backslash ICBW um, to check out all the events. We also have an app that everyone can download to, to keep track of the events, and, and you can star um, you know, events that you want to make sure go into your planner that you're not missing out on. Um, one of our favorite events um, is, is, of course, the dodgeball tournament um, that Goose Island hosts each year. So that'll actually be on Saturday instead of Sunday, um, so the day after Beer Under Glass, and you're going to have 38 Illinois brewery teams that are competing against one another for um, for the trophy. So that's always a great event to come out and be able to cheer on your favorite brewery and um, and and uh, be able to have some beers. And then we're really starting to see that lineup come together now with um, with our members, breweries that are hosting events. So there are some really great ones that are going to be taking place throughout the week, and the, particularly on that last day, May 17th. Um, there's some collaborations that are taking place with some Western or so, some suburban breweries. I know Revolution Brewing is doing um, um, a big closing event as well. So people just need to, to keep checking um, for uh, for that list um, and make sure that they're um, starting to plan out their week. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the app, the uh, ICBG app, and uh, you can get it. And I had it on my phone, and it's interesting because when I went to Fobab, I used to get tired of taking pictures of this is the kind of beer I had or writing it down, and then I would just go into the app find the beer, start is one of my favorites. And then I look today and I still have the list of beers that I had at the Festival of Barrel Age Beer. So, I mean, it's very, very cool. The app is great. It's still on my phone and a great way for people to figure out where to go because um, I don't know about you, Danielle, but I've never been associated with or seen a business where everybody works with everybody else. There's so much, you mentioned collaboration. There's so many people working together and it's like everybody just wants to have fun and make good beer and uh, they all kind of want everybody else to succeed and it doesn't happen in most businesses. No, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I did mention collaboration um, and that's also why I noted um, why I appreciate working with the, the community of brewers um, that are a part of this organization um, and really anywhere that, that I go um, and I think that uh, the more breweries that you have just elevates and lifts everyone up. To your point, you know, people um, 
you know, brewers want to interact and, and be able to, to give suggestions or um, to be able to, um, uh, to make a beer together. And so you're just going to see um, the quality of the beer overall just elevated. Um, and, and that's something you're right, you don't see in every industry. Um, there's a new brewery that's going to, a brewery that's already open, and, and they're looking to open up their second location in a different um, neighborhood nearby. And, and there's already one or two breweries that are that are going to be you know just a couple blocks away. Right. And the response isn't, oh my gosh, like we don't want them coming. It's competition. They're like, yes, please, you know, come on over because you know folks that have an afternoon, um, you know, on a weekend, will go to one spot and then we'll go to the other spot and you know to be able to do that within um, a few uh, mile radius is, is exciting for for craft beer fans and for for travelers and tourists alike. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Danielle. Appreciate you jumping on for a little bit. Look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Um, beer under glass coming up on May 10th, and then Illinois Craft Beer Week. People can check out uh, uh, IllinoisBeer.org and also get the uh, app on your phone. That's the most convenient thing. Thanks for jumping on in. We I'll see you real soon. Okay. Thank you, Fred. Yeah, see you soon. Have a great day. Thanks. Danielle D'Alessandro, the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Uh, I went to Scallywag last week. Uh, it's a new place in, in Westmont. I go to Black Horizon and Skeleton Key and oh, just, you know, there's so many great beer places in the Burbs and everywhere else. And uh, it's cool. There are people that are setting up bus tours to go to hit different breweries and that. It's it's a great thing for those people. And, you know, people say, oh, you're drinking all the time. You go, you have a beer or two. It's I hate to compare it. It's almost for the longest time, Eric, I used to make fun of the hoity-toity wine people. But this is, you know, you tr- you try different beers. One has 8% alcohol by volume. One's got 12.6. But you have a little glass of it. You're just sampling. You're tasting stuff. That's why I love the flights. Yeah. You just get, it's oh. probably like a beer and a half total, actually, but yeah. you're actually just tasting three different beers. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big flight guy at almost every place I go. We'll wrap things up, look ahead to what's going on today in baseball, and uh, wrap things up, give you the uh, not-such-great news from a Guaranteed Rate Field on Aloy Jimenez. We come back after this on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Uten on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, don't forget the NBA playoffs continuing. Celtics and Bucks, 3 o'clock today. We got it for you here on ESPN 1000. And no doubt tomorrow when uh, Cap and company and uh, Carmen and Yurko, Waddle and Sylvie, they'll all be breaking down the NFL draft and what the Bears did with their uh, five selections in the draft, so uh, they'll have plenty to get into. The uh, White Sox taking on Detroit today. Uh, those Sox will do it without Aloy Jimenez for a while. He's going to be out a couple weeks at least. High ankle sprain after going into the wall on um, Friday. So he goes on the IL, the injured list, along with Nate Jones, the White Sox reliever. They call up uh, Aaron Bummer and also uh, Tiago Vieira. Yesterday, it was Hugh Darvish dealing for the Cubs. He went six innings as the Cubs got a 9-1 win over Arizona. Darvish talking with our guy, uh, Jesse Rogers, after the game in Arizona. First two was you know, rough, but after, after that, I feel pretty good about command and then the stuff yeah. make a big difference to be pitching with a five nothing five nothing lead yeah and then also the last batter last hitter in the second inning the escobar i threw a split for him then that's you know give me a good feeling 
for every pitch. So yeah, and they have five nothing too. Is that a pitch you want to use more now on the split? Um, yeah, for sure because it works. So if I feel good, I should use that for more. So you go back to the first inning. Mm-hmm. Bases get loaded. What are you telling yourself at that point? Uh you know, I was, um, I was thinking just for next pitch, for focusing next pitch. Throw strikes. That's it. Yeah, he did throw strikes. He struck out eight yesterday. Darvish going six innings, a run on just two hits. He walked four. And as Jesse was saying, in the first two innings, he had thrown 56 pitches in the first two innings, finished up with 110. The Cubs getting the 9-1 win. Jose Quintana going today, a 3-10 first pitch as they take on Arizona, wrap up that series before a day off. Then a couple games in Seattle, then another day off. I'm telling you, they get so many days off. I'm not quite sure why schedule makers do it with so many days off uh, at this time of the season. Um, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but then again, nobody asked me. Um, it'll be Jose Quintana going today. He's got three straight wins, three straight seven-inning outings, uh, 21 innings, 25 strikeouts, just two runs on 14 hits. The rotation's been doing the job. I had asked earlier, and Eric put up the poll. Um, Cub fans, I wanted to know which was more important for you to see. Chris Bryant's uh, home run drought that was snapped when he hit a home run the other day that snapped. That was his first one since opening day. Or you Darvish going six strong innings. 80% of those responding said Darvish and his strong outing. And, uh, you know, when the rotation throws a 230 ERA over the last 14 games, just got to get Kyle Hendricks going and things should be well for the Cub pitching staff. See what the White Sox do today. See how they make up for the loss of Aloy Jimenez. Tim Anderson still leading the American League and hitting with a 402 average. Lots of great things happening today. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, thanks to Eric Ostrowski, all of his help as always. Don't forget, NBA hoops this afternoon. Celtics and Bucks right here on ESPN 1000. Then it all begins again. Another week. Cap and company. Uh, starts with uh, Golik and Wingo, then Cap and Company, then Carmen and Yurko, Waddle and Sylvie. It all begins again tomorrow morning here, beginning at 5 in the morning. Thanks for listening. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000.